Luke 18, 18 through 30. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there was no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of God. Amen. Well, greetings, first of Anne, from uh, the International Evangelical Church of Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. My name is uh, Pastor Steve Winstead, and it is a real privilege to be here at First Devan. One of the things that um, I love about First Devan, and uh, for those that don't know, I had the privilege of living here in Memphis for 20 years, so I, I know First Devan well, and I've been serving here in some capacities and grateful for that. First Devan has a rich history of being a church that faithfully proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ that while we are hopeless in and of ourselves, that God has made a way for us through Christ. First of all, has a rich history of being a church that faithfully declares scripture, that, that isn't looking to preach whatever will tickle man's ears, but wants to preach the word of God. And you have a rich history of looking to that day when every tribe, tongue, nation, people will gather at the throne. That day that is a reality that we are all headed for. None of us will escape it. And you celebrate and you support those who go to the nations. You love the nations well. So thank you for that rich history you have, that true reality of this church. And I pray that the Lord will continue. First of all, and those rich foundations for many, many generations to come. Well, I serve at the International Evangelical Church, commonly called IEC within Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Addis Ababa is the, um, a city of nearly around 8 million. It's hard to get numbers there, but it's a large city. It is considered by many the political capital of all of Africa. And that's because directly across the street from our church, one of the things I love to do, first thing when I come into the church in the morning, I go to my office and I have a corner window where I can look out two different directions. One window I look out and I see the African Union across the street from our church. In the African Union, it's the United Nations of all of Africa, all 54 African nations 
have an embassy and representatives there. Addis Ababa is um, one of the top cities in the world for a number of international embassies. But yet when I look out the other window, I see just across the river our church was built on. I see a neighborhood of mud huts with tin roofs where the majority of people live on just a few dollars a day. I see a very different side of Ethiopia and of Africa. Our church has a rich history. We were started by missionaries, by SIM missionaries, but we uh, grew, and in the 1970s, under communism, the church began to welcome many Ethiopians as communism closed churches' churches doors. So we're a church that is 60% Ethiopian. We have people from over 60 nations worshiping together. It's a great joy to get to worship with the nations gathered. We have people from all over Africa as when the African embassy workers come, they don't typically go to an Ethiopian, Amharic speaking church. They go to an English speaking church such as ours. And we have people from every continent we have missionaries from all over the world. We serve the missionary community. We have missionary doctors. We have people working in orphanage, people working with Muslim outreach, people working in the hardest nations on earth, nations that surround Ethiopia that you cannot get into, that they will drop in and out of working with those people. So it's truly a privilege to serve there, a privilege which I recognize my own unworthiness for, just as I stand here in this pulpit, I recognize my own unworthiness, but for the word of God, and but for God's grace, but for his goodness and his faithfulness to use each of us. Well, I serve as uh, the lead pastor at, at IEC, and one of the things serving as a pastor that comes from time to time, sometimes more frequently than one might like, are, is discouragement. Now, there's a lot to be encouraged about in ministry, but discouragement can come in many ways. But one of the, the great gifts, one of the, the great gifts that God has always given me at the churches I've served are saints who have the true gift of encouragement. Every church where I've had the privilege of preaching on a regular basis, God has given me a unique encourager. One who, after I preach... They'll wait for me. They'll wait till after I've talked to others and they'll come offer a faithful word of encouragement that breathes life into me. And, and something that's unique in every one of these, I can think of four people in each of the churches I've served that have been faithful to do this. All of them have been older women. Hope I say that respectfully. Some traditions would call these the mothers of the church. I hope that's taken with a uh, a, a sense of honoring and respect and uh, high valuing of, of that position. And these women come and they offer great encouragement. But to a person, I know these women's stories. And their stories are stories of great pain, great suffering, great loss on this side of eternity. Yet what I see in them is that they have tasted 
and they live in the reality of eternal life now. In our passage that we read, a man comes, and what he is seeking is eternal life. That's what he wants. Now, for us in the West, when we hear that phrase eternal life, typically here's what we think of, a duration. Eternal life will live forever. That's great. That's glorious. And that is an absolute truth of eternal life. But for many parts of the world, and in particular, where Jesus, during Jesus' time in that Middle East culture, eternal life was not primarily thought of as a duration of life, but a quality of life, a joy, a, a peace, a, a contentment, a, a hopefulness that starts now and carries over into all eternity. That's what we think of when we think of eternal life. Well, the, at IEC, every week after I preach, I can count on Ruth Meekins, and I share her name and I share her story because I dialogue with her regularly and with her permission. I can count on her waiting to give me a hug and offer me a word of encouragement from what she's just heard, from something that she's seen, and that blesses my soul like few other things. And I can tell you what Ruth will wear every week. Ruth will always be wearing a dress, and over a, her dress, she'll wear a t-shirt. And on that t-shirt is one of two things. Either a piece of art that her son created or a picture of her son. You see, Ruth is Ethiopian. She married a British missionary and she um, has three children, a son and two daughters. They grew up between Ethiopia and Britain and her son, Caleb, returned to Ethiopia to minister to the people there. He had had a dynamic ministry happening in England, but he returned to Ethiopia serving there. He was a young business, many would say genius in what he was doing. He was opening businesses, starting businesses. He had people coming to Ethiopia to speak on business, invest in business from the founder of Twitter to tech giants that you would have never imagined come there. Yet he was fiercely passionate about the gospel and the truth of God's word. I heard him preach in March of 2018 when I was visiting IEC before I was pastor there. He had just become an elder. He led the young adults ministry at our church and the young adults ministry was explosive it thrived. Literally, the ministry was called Thrive, and it attracted hundreds of hundreds of young adults from all over the city. He had a YouTube channel with followings of hundreds of thousands. You can still find those online. Yet in March of 2020, just before COVID would hit, he was involved in a car crash and was rushed from hospital to hospital who for various reasons and mass confusion, refused treatment, and died from something that was 
quite likely preventable. His funeral was watched online by over 150,000 people. He was a man who God was using mightily in Ethiopia, one that you look and you say, why would God take this man? Yet when I see Ruth, I know her grief in this life, but here's what she exudes is a joy and a contentment and a hopefulness like few I've ever encountered. And because she tastes that, she is free to give that to others for which I am so very grateful. Well, in the passage we look at today, the passage we look at today is a great tragedy. Many would look at the story I just told you of Ruth's life and you would say, that is a tragedy. This woman lost her only son just over the age of 30 who was doing dynamic, amazing things. But the story we read today, this is a true tragedy. And one of the things I've been taught is anytime you preach, you want to make the main point of the passage, the main point of the sermon. So I don't want us to get lost in things that could easily distract us. This main point of this passage is not dealing with money, though that's a reality of this passage, but don't get caught off with that. No, the main point is that we're going to see is that Jesus saves and that he is worthy. He is worthy of releasing all that we cling to in this life and following that Jesus is glorious, he is beautiful, he is magnificent, he is far more good, far more gracious, far more beautiful, far more glorious than we can even articulate or dream. And we're going to see this young man today in verse 18, says that he's a ruler. And in Mark's gospel, it says he comes and he kneels before Jesus. Now, the fact that he's a ruler, here's what this tells us. It doesn't mean that he was just like a ruler in a business, a ruler of some sort. This is implying he's a ruler either in the synagogue or perhaps he's even a ruler within the Sanhedrin. He is an official ruler within the capacity of the Judaism of Jesus' day. And we also learn that he's very wealthy. Now those are significant in this culture because they would view someone of his position as having all the security, all the satisfaction, all the blessing that God could give you in this life. If anybody is okay, if anybody should not be questioning their position with God, it's this man. And everybody around knows that and here he comes. And he kneels before Jesus. And at first glance, this man appears to be the perfect seeker, the perfect spiritual seeker. There's no pre-evangelism needed with this man. No, you, he comes, he's looking, he's asking the question. There are many obstacles that prevent people from trusting in Christ. This man, he's ready, he's eager, and here's what he knows. He has a need. He's anxious. He's not satisfied. So, something in his life is not the way it's supposed to be, and he knows that. 
Within his culture, he's as high as he can go. He's the one they look to and says that he has it all figured out. Yet he knows there's something missing. Something's not right. In all his achievements, something is still missing. And he comes to seek Jesus. You see, just like uh, today, perhaps the two false teachings that are plaguing Africa more than any other. Africa is uh, the fastest growing continent on earth. By 2100, there'll be more than 3 billion people there. By 2050, the majority of evangelical Christians will live in Africa. Yet as the church grows fast, largely in part due to birth rate, as it grows wide, it struggles to grow deep. You see, the, the heirs of legalism in Ethiopia, Ethiopia, 98% of people in Ethiopia would say that religion matters to them deeply. Yet based on statistics, 30 to 50% are Muslim. I know that's a wide range. As much as 40 to 60%. Again, I know these ranges are wide. I don't know what statistics to believe sometimes. Consider themselves orthodox. And the orthodox church, they trace their spiritual heritage back to the Queen of Sheba who came to visit Solomon around 900 B.C. And that she, they believe, carried Solomon's son back to Ethiopia and that their kingly dynasty comes from King Solomon. Ethiopians believe that the Ark of the Covenant is in Ethiopia. They are deeply, deeply, deeply religious people. Yet the Orthodox are enslaved to works righteousness, to legalism, to religious practices to the point that the gospel has been all but lost within the church. The other area of the church that's growing so quickly is what we commonly refer to as the prosperity gospel a heresy that's spreading all over the world, that, that, that's growing quickly, that is a false gospel that says, if you love God and you are favored by God, you will be blessed with wealth, with health, with ease and comfort right now. The Bible doesn't ever teach that. In fact, the Bible teaches that we will suffer in this life. The Bible teaches if you follow Christ, you will be persecuted. That this life is not going to be easy. That God will never allow you to become so comfortable that you mistakenly think you're home. But the Bible also teaches that you can taste eternal life right now. That you can walk through this life with a sense of joy and peace and contentment. As we walk with Christ. And this man, he's coming out of a culture that believes both of these things. You see, works-based righteousness is nothing new. This man holds to it. The prosperity belief is nothing new. Everybody looks at him and says, you're wealthy. You're a ruler. You are obviously favored by God. That's what they believe about this man. And he comes and he asks Jesus a question. He says, what must I do to inherit now right there doesn't take much study to realize something doesn't work well there do to inherit 
An inheritance implies this. You are a child. You're a family and you receive it. You don't do anything except be a member of the family to inherit. But this man's flawed question, he wants to know, what does he do? He feels like he's tried everything. He's, he's done everything he can think of, and he still isn't tasting eternal life. He still desires that. He's missing what he craves. Jesus has asked a similar question in John chapter 6, verse 28. Verse 29, Jesus answers this. This is the work of God, to believe in the one that he has sent. The work of God for us, the only work is to believe. We do nothing. Jesus did it all. He accomplished it all. We, we bring nothing to the table. Salvation is costly. Eternal life is costly, but Jesus paid it all. And you see, Scripture teaches this. We are not born children of God. We're born children of wrath. And that we are adopted in as children of God with a full inheritance through Christ. He is our substitute. And as we trust in him, we receive the full inheritance of eternal life that all your works, all your effort, all your religious practices, all the things that you do could never accomplish. And this man wants to know what he does to inherit eternal life. Now, when we speak of eternal life, I mentioned it, it deals more with peace and blessing, confidence, hopefulness in starting now and carrying over into eternity. Uh, in John 17, 3, it says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Eternal life is to, to know Jesus Christ. He, he's the source. He's our, he's our foundation. He's the one who secures eternal life and brings us into eternal life. And to live with him is to live in light of eternity. So this man comes and he asks this question. Good teacher, what must I do? A flawed question. But Jesus engages him and says, why do you call me good? Now, the word he uses for good in the Greek here, it carries this idea of Greek in es of goodness in essence. Goodness in who, very goodness in his fabric of his being, of who he is. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There is no one good except God alone. Jesus walks him right up. Now, now look at this. It's amazing. This man is seeking eternal life. He knows something is wrong, that he's not tasting it, and he comes to the very source of eternal life. He comes to the one place where eternal life is found, and that's in Christ. And Jesus takes him and says, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Are you saying that I am God? Can you see the divinity that I am? Can you see that? And, and then Jesus uh, moves on to engage this man. He says, no one is good but God alone. Walking him there, but then he says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. 
Do not steal. Do not bear false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Jesus is speaking to him into his understanding of works. Now we'd hope this man would look and say, I've had lust in my heart. I'm guilty. I've had anger that is the seed of murder. I'm guilty. I, I've, I haven't perfectly honored my mother and father. I've taken what's from others. I am hopeless. I have not kept these. Instead, in verse 21, he says, all of these I have kept from my youth. You see, in the Jewish culture at age 13, you go through bar mitzvah. That's when you would be called a son of the commandment. That's when you take the law upon you and the responsibility of keeping the law. This guy goes back a step forward. I've kept these from my youth. From even before then, I have done this. I've done this well. So he doesn't see that the law is meant to show you your hopelessness. You can't do it. You can't be good enough. So Jesus speaks to him in verse 22. He says, one thing. One thing you still lack. Go sell everything that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now I've struggled with this before. So I say, I would never tell anybody that. What's eternal life? Go sell all that you have. But you've got to look at the complete thing that Jesus says. In the Greek, this is all woven together. It's not, not two different things. It's all one. Go sell everything you have. And hear this. And come follow me. That is the exact right answer for salvation. Come follow Jesus. What did Jesus call his disciples? Come follow me. It's always his call. Come follow me. And if you follow me, and if you walk with me, you will find eternal life in me. A person who truly follows Jesus will see eternal life. A person who puts their faith and trust in him will taste eternal life as they walk and follow him. But Jesus sees for this man that he's holding on to something in this life. Something that is temporary. Something that will not last and he can't let go of it. He holds on to it. Jesus is saying, let go of that which keeps you from following me. Let go of it and come follow me. As I mentioned, this passage it speaks of money. I don't think that's the main point. Jesus speaks of money more than anybody else because money is the number one thing often that we will look for security for hope, for happiness, for joy. We look to money to deliver things that only God can truly deliver. There's other things we do that with as well. There's plenty of other things we can hold on to in this life, and Jesus will come to those in a minute. But this is what this man is holding on to. And he says, come, follow me. And look, here's the tragic verse of this. Verse 23. 
But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. We're told he walks away. His hold on the things of this world are such that when he stands before the very source of eternal life, Jesus Christ himself, he cannot let go of the things of this world. Now again, in no way is this saying that money is bad. It's neither good nor bad. It's just something that can be used. It can be used for eternal purposes or for our own purposes. And he says, no, you let go of this world. You don't hold on to the things of this world. You're holding on to this so tightly that you can't follow me. So release it and come follow me. And Jesus, verse 24, says how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's a difficult thing. And then Jesus gives this famous illustration that we've heard before. It's easier for a man to go through the eye of a needle, a camel to go through the eye of the needle and for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's some that have said, you know, maybe the eye of the needle was this um, gate that was really low, and you had to take all the stuff off the camel and sort of push him under it so he can't take his baggage. Maybe. I take it a little more at face value. It is impossible. It is completely impossible for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. That cannot happen. Just as it is impossible for you and I to stand before a holy, righteous, loving, glorious God and say, God, let me in. Here's my money. Here's my good works. Here's all the things I've done. Here's my religiosity. There is nothing. We cannot enter into the kingdom of God on any other means than Christ himself. Our money can't secure salvation. And that was the false belief of the day. This man is blessed. He has money. He's favored by God. He's secure. Because look at the, look at the response of the people when they hear this in verse 26. Those who heard it said then who can be saved? They're looking going, this guy is the picture of salvation and you're saying he's not saved. Well, well then who can be saved? And Jesus answered, what is impossible with man is possible with God. The only way to be saved is through God alone. We can't save ourselves we aren't smart enough. We aren't good enough. Our own opinions, our own thoughts, our own ideas, our own successes, none of these can save us. It's only God himself who can save us. And Peter responds in verse 28. We've left our homes and followed you. Jesus said, follow me. And he says, that's what we've done. We've left it all. We've walked away from our fishing business. We've walked away from our tax collector's booth. We've walked away from all these things in life. We've been holding this world loosely. We want to follow you above all else. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife 
or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not see many more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. <laughs> All these things, they're good things. We actually have a responsibility as a Christian. We are to take care of our wives, to care about our house, to be our brother's keeper, to raise our children in Christ's likeness. These are all things we're to do to honor our parents. But he says, hey, compared to me, you release those and walk away. There's no one who's done that. Who, listen to this, who will not receive many more blessings in this time. When does eternal life begin? The Christian begins now. It begins when we trust Christ and we should live in the reality. You see, what happened with this man, he was so self-deceived that he couldn't see Christ standing right before him. You see, the issue with self-deception is we don't know it. That's the very definition of being deceived. You don't know that what you believe or what you can't see, you don't know that isn't true. And this man can't see his own need for Christ and the glory of Christ and beauty of Christ standing right before him. But he knew something was wrong. For some of us, that's where we are. We may know that there's something in our life that we go, there's something, I don't taste that peace, I don't taste that joy, I don't taste that contentment. And, I'm anxious all the time. I worry all the time. And brothers and sisters, we will worry. All of us in this room will be anxious. But in our anxiety, it drives us to Christ. Hey, I may be anxious right now, but you know who I need? God is with me in the midst of it. I'm going to run to him. You see, the Christians should live with an ever-growing sense of contentment, peace, and joy in spite of the circumstances of their life. Caleb's father, he would often tell the story of his father. Ruth's husband. He moved to Ethiopia in 1978 to serve as a missionary. He was an architect by design, but came and served a humble, quiet man, reserved man. Married Ruth, who was Ethiopian, had three children. Served in Ethiopia during the dark days of communism. Communism fell in Ethiopia in the early 90s like it did around much of the world. And he was on a flight from Addis Ababa to Nairobi. A two-hour, ten-minute flight. As the plane took off, hijackers moved in and took over the plane. These hijackers instructed the captain to go to Australia. Australia is a long way from Ethiopia. There's not enough fuel. We can't make it. But this pilot, amazingly, this was his third hijacking experience. In Ethiopia in that time, after the fall of communism, hijacking, this was before 9-11, before all the security, hijackings were happening regularly. And he had twice successfully talked his way out of a hijacking situation. So if anybody was prepared, if anybody was ready to handle this, this man was it. So instead of flying to Australia, he went out 
just over the coast of Africa and begin to fly south, knowing that if he can talk him out of it, he can quickly land in an airport. As he flies south, he realizes the hijacker's intentions are not Australia. These men are on a suicide mission. They intend to crash the plane. So Ruth's husband, Andy, seated near the front of the plane, unbuckles his seat belt and gets up and goes from section to section of the plane, declaring the only source of eternal life is Jesus. That while we were sinners, we are hopeless in ourselves. Christ is sufficient. He's enough. He is glorious. He's beautiful. And he will save all who will place their faith on in him. He saved uh, the thief on the cross. He can save you. One engine would go out as it ran out of gas. And the plane would crash just off the coast. There's video of it. People on the beach were videoing and saw this tragedy. You can Google this. You'll see History Channel documentaries about what was happening and what was going on. And of the 175 people on that plane, 125 died. Andy Meekins being one of those. Where he had been seating, most of the people lived up near the front of the plane. But as he walked back from section to section... He entered into what became the death zone of the plane, into the back. He could easily let go of the things of this world and say, I'm going to tell these people about Jesus. This meek, mild-mannered man said, I'm going to declare the gospel, eternal life, hope here. And of those 50 people who survived, several told of both them placing their faith in Jesus in that moment and others on the plane. So when I see Ruth, a woman who's lost a husband and just recently lost her only son, she comes to me to encourage, to build up, to speak life, to speak truth into me. It's only because she has a joy that goes beyond this world. She knows Jesus is with her in the midst of the storms. She knows Jesus is with her in the midst of the tragedies, in the midst of the pain. And brothers and sisters, we will go through pain. We will go through storms. I don't know what your storms will be. I don't know what your suffering will be. I don't know what your persecution will look like. But many of you have tasted it. Some of you are in it now. And know this, Jesus is with you in the midst of it. He doesn't promise to fix it the way you want it fixed. He doesn't promise to answer every prayer the way that you would hope he would answer it. But he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you in the midst of the storm. I'll ride with you all the way to eternity and eternity starts now for us. So I thought I want us to process as we near an end. 
Do you taste this? Do you taste this eternal life that this man came seeking but knew he didn't have? Do you live in the reality of this? I know, first of all, I know you, you hear the gospel proclaimed and we need to hear the gospel over and over again because we're prone to Rome, but you live in the reality in light of being a person who is transformed by the gospel and tastes the goodness of Christ regularly. Or more you defined by anxiety, fear, the cares of this world. They get us all, so I'm not saying we don't taste those, but for the Christian, we know that Christ is with us in the midst of it and we can walk through the storm because he's with us. We don't live on those things. We don't abide in those things. In those moments where we sense that fear, in the moments where we sense that anxiety, we run to Jesus who is beautiful, who is holy, who is more majestic, who loves you more than I can articulate, who came to make a way for us to be reconciled back to God the Father. He is good and glorious. I venture to say some of us, because I know I've been there, lived deceived of the reality, of the security and hope and joy we have in Christ, and we hold on to this world too tightly, so we're more cared about this than we are in walking with him, declaring him, knowing him, loving him, seeking him. Remember, Jesus takes all the good things, wife, parent, children, no one who's left these. And scripture tells us that we're to care for those things. When he says left, he means he's above all that. No one who's left these. They will taste eternal life now and in the age to come. May that be our story, first man. May that be our story that we taste and we live in eternal life, the joys and the fruitfulness of eternal life now. Let's pray. God, I know that um, my words are greatly inadequate. I know that my words are flawed. I know that um, I say things very imperfectly. So I confess that this morning. But Lord, your word, oh, your word is not flawed. Oh, your word is good. Your word is gracious. So Lord, if there is anything that has been missaid, misunderstood, misinterpreted, Lord, please allow that to fall on deaf ears. Please give way to that. But Lord, the truths of your word that are given to edify your people, to encourage us, because Lord, we need encouragement. Oh Lord, we're in a day of divisiveness where we see hatred, where we see fighting, and we can only find a source of contentment and joy and peace in Christ. You are with us in the midst of the difficulties. So, Lord, may we taste that. Lord, if we are self-deceived in any way, please open our eyes. Maybe that's through another brother or sister in Christ. Maybe that's through sitting here going, 
I don't taste that joy very often. I don't taste peace very often. I don't live very hopefully. You made me realize that's not of you. That comes from being too focused on this world rather than focused on our glorious Savior Christ. Lord, there may be some here today who have never trusted you. If that's the case, we ask that today would be the joyous day of salvation. Lord, only you can do work that is from your hand. You use us as your instruments, but you work through your spirit. So we pray that any work that needs to happen today, you do it. We ask this in the name of our glorious, perfect Savior, Jesus.